actress Katherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 today. From Nashville, Tennessee, welcome to Music City 911. I'm Rick Beasley, Nashville Communications Officer, retired with 40 years of experience. And I'm Brandon Hall with 20. Before we begin our show, this episode will be dedicated to and in remembrance of a beautiful person whom we lost to cancer on March 1st, retired Nashville Communications Officer, Patty Davis. If you guys remember, Brandon talked about some comical stuff involving him and her near the end of episode two. If you don't remember, please make it a point to go back and listen. Some years back, her husband Leo passed away quietly during a cruise they were on together. It was obvious to me and to anyone that knew them that they were true soulmates, having been together 50 years. She had said she missed him terribly. Patty is the poster lady for one who truly lived life to the fullest. In retirement, she really did make it her reward for all the years she had worked. Took more cruises than most people would have taken in several lifetimes. When she departed this life, there's no doubt to me that she was reunited again with the one that she had missed so badly. And I'm sure that Leo had already tracked down Elvis so he could meet one of his biggest fans. What a sight that had to be. We thank you, Patty, for all that you gave us. And we thank you, too, for your service to the citizens of Nashville and keeping all of us safe. We love you and we miss you. In tonight's episode, we've got another guest with us tonight, uh, Brett Sharp, who was working uh, that night with the tornado. He actually came back in from uh, second shift. He left, went home at about 11 o'clock that night, came back in uh, after we got the page sent out to everybody and, uh, you know, jumped right in, you know, right where everybody else was. So say hi to everybody, Brett. Yeah, it's definitely good to be here. It's been a long week, and this should be a great way to end it off. Yeah, and that's that's no joke about that. I've been wore out this entire week. It's it's been nonstop the whole time. Yeah, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, thanks. In the late evening hours of Monday, March the second, storms were making their way across the mid-state. Tornadoes had already been spawned in both Tennessee and Kentucky 
before the storms reached here. One was killed in Benton County. At about 12.30 a.m. Tuesday, March the 3rd, a strong EF-3 struck Nashville, killing two. It continued its unbelievable eastward mayhem for over 60 miles as it killed four more moving into Wilson County. A violent EF-4 then took its place, slamming into Putnam County, killing 18, which included five children under the age of 13. In the aftermath of the destruction, at least 10 tornadoes in both Tennessee and Kentucky had existed. Scores of people were injured, homes, businesses, schools, and churches were either damaged or reduced to rubble. Trees and utility poles were snapped, and thousands today continue to be without power. To illustrate the sheer power of these storms, the EF-3 in Nashville had peak winds up to 165 miles per hour, and the EF-4 in Putnam County, 175. To put this in perspective, both of these tornadoes would be comparable to a top-of-the-line Cat 5 hurricane, the main difference being much tighter swirling winds as opposed to straight-line ones. One of the calls that was taken that night was of a uh, man who was actually trapped under rubble underneath the Jefferson Street Bridge. From News 2, we have some of the audio from that. This is the address of your emergency. Uh, yeah, are there confirmed tornadoes on the ground? That's when this 911 call flooded with the sound of swirling wind in the dark hours of Tuesday morning. Hello? Hello, sir, you okay? Hello, under the Jefferson Street Bridge. When the winds quiet down, the panic sets in. I'm trapped. Okay, what are you what are you trapped under? I don't know. I'm super trapped. I'm I don't know if they're bleeding or anything. I need help now. The dispatcher tries to get clarity. What do you mean you're trapped? Tell me exactly what happened. Tornado came through about us. I'm buried under a bunch of rubble rock. What are you trapped underneath? I don't know. I can't move. Okay, just stay with me. I'm getting help to you. The caller continues pleading for help, saying he hears other people crying out too. My hand hurts. But I'm not going anywhere without my dog. Okay, make as much noise as you can to help us find you. Just tell me if anything worsens and tell me when you hear responders, okay? I don't hear anything. I hear sirens going off again. Is there another... Reporting in Nashville, Nickel Smith, News 2. All right, we've got on the phone now Preston Holland. He was, uh, we, we just listened to one of his calls that he took from the Jefferson Street Bridge. Um, say hi to everybody, Preston. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the show, man. Hey, how's it going? All right, so, uh, yeah, we were just kind of chatting about the tornado in general. Um, you know, just vast destruction, everything like that that we had. Uh, kind of go over the, the call that we just listened to uh, there at Jefferson Street. Uh, what, what happened with that? Because we only had a little 
partial clip of it. We didn't have the entire thing. Like, how long were you on the phone? You know, that type thing. Well, um, I got the call. The, the first thing the guy asked me is, are there tornadoes on the ground? And I'm thinking, like, the, my first thought is, why is he calling 911 to ask me that? Um, just find shelter. But what I didn't know is he was out in the open underneath the bridge, which is not a safe place. Um, and then immediately I heard the wind, and I knew that there was something going on. And I figured it was a, probably a tornado passing right over him. Yeah, and and that's in, exactly what it was. Yeah, in that case, it, it did. Now, I, I know we heard a couple times on there that we didn't uh, know what actually fell on him. Do you? Did you ever get any uh, type of confirmation of what, what what was trapping him like that? Not really. Um, my first thought was, goodness, is the Jefferson Street Bridge, you know, is it the whole thing came down? I had no idea. Um, but once it got him out of the rubble, I, I figured it probably wasn't the bridge itself. It could have just been debris. And I think we found out that it was probably mostly debris from uh, DHS next door. Yeah, actually, that is that is right there at Jefferson Street. So that that's probably what it was then. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, going back, um, we've talked a little bit about this off uh, off the show and everything. You actually took the very first call uh, about a tornado uh, touching down inside Nashville. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I believe I did. Um, I took a call from a guy. Uh, he said he was somewhere in the Cockrell Bend area, and he had trailers overturned. And he said tornado on the ground. And at that point, I'm just kind of thinking in my mind, I'm trying to go back to my training. What do I do? He starts telling me that he's seeing um, flames from John C. Tune Airport. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, we probably have a structure fire. I'm going to go ahead and send this up as a structure fire. That's going to get a lot of equipment, and I think I'm going to cover all my bases. So that's exactly what I did. Um, I set it up as a structure fire. It got a lot of fire trucks, and um, and from that point, they just went from there. Yeah, and and that whole area, um, the John C. Tune Airport. Uh, there's been pictures released. Everything, buildings demolished out there. Airplanes on top of each other and and wrecked. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised a bit if it's you know anywhere from you know tens of millions up to hundred millions of dollars worth of damage just for the airport itself not to mention some of those other buildings that are right around that. Now, um, exactly. Now past that, uh, can you kind of give us a, you know, cause it's, it's midnight shift. It's about 1235 ish. I guess when we got the first call on that, what was the call volume like before that? I would imagine probably kind of normal for, you know, middle of the night on a Monday, not, not too much. And then going on from there, what it ended up being, uh, almost nothing. Um, we had a very limited warning about the weather coming in. Um, after the first couple of calls that I took, everything just started coming in. And I immediately, I start talking to people. Their roof is gone. They're, they're trapped in their house. And normally, just having one of those calls on a shift is a really big deal. But when you're dealing with these kind of calls over and over and over again it's just extremely overwhelming and you're just trying to do the best you can and get people help um but the phones just started backing up and it was extremely stressful but we just kind of did the best we could 
Yeah, with uh, something like that, I mean, that's that's all you can do. You try to get as many uh, calls together as you can, as quick as you can, and, you know, just kind of go from there. Um, and from what I've heard on the news, it's been, you know, kind of a rough estimate, but somewhere over 40 buildings collapsed in Nashville from this. Right, and, you know, we could only take one call at a time. That's the best you can do. And But people started coming in that were not working. They started coming in early. Yeah, you helping uh, out and just logging in the phones. How many people were there uh, actually taking calls? You know, when this actually hit, like how many y'all have logged on? Oh, I think we had maybe somewhere between eight and ten, just the normal amount. Yeah, for um, midnight shift. Yeah, normal. People started coming in. Yeah. Yeah, when I called, um, you know, we they sent the page out. It was around one a.m. And, uh, you know, me, because of the way I sleep and everything, I just slept right through that and all the weather. But I woke up on my own at 3 o'clock and saw it, called up there, and they apparently uh, got up to 19 people logged in the phones, which is a huge deal for midnight shift. And, uh, you know, we had people that came back in from BDTL because uh, they, they got off of work at 11 o'clock at night, and they went home, and they got the page. They came, A lot of them came back in. And I ended up getting up there, you know, a couple hours early to work and, you know, try to help out that way, too. Yeah, the, the thing that really surprised me was it was crazy there for a little bit. But after a few hours, we really started to get a handle on things. And we kind of started to go into recovery mode pretty quick. Um, it was it was very impressive how everybody just came together just to get a handle on those first few hours and just try to. um you know, get to the point where everything was being managed. Yeah. And actually when I got in, um, it was, I think I actually set foot up there about four thirty, and I got, uh, after everything was set up and everything, I got logged in a little bit before five, I believe. And, um, you know, the, the call volume was not that bad at that point. Cause there were still a lot of people logged in and the initial impact, you know, that, that had already kind of been dealt with, but it seemed like as soon as, uh, you know, first shift checked on and people started waking up and seeing this on the news, everybody was calling wanting to see you know can we can we go and check on their their relative here can we do this and it it we were backed up you know anywhere from 25 to 30 calls pretty much the whole time I was on the phone yeah i figured once everybody started waking up um they'd be calling in the wires down and and things like that um definitely daylight uh contributes to people kind of seeing exactly the extent of the damage you can't really see that at night. Yeah, yeah, that, that it was a big factor there. But all right, man. Well, uh, thank you for um, being on the show with us here tonight, and uh, we'll, we'll let you go. I know you're about to go in and work some overtime yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Twelve hour shifts, just about every weekend for me. Yeah, well, that's money in the pocket. So that's that's a good good way that's to go right. about it. <laughs> all right, man. Well, we'll chat with you later. All right, Brandon. Take right. care. See you. All right, so here in the studio with us tonight, we got uh, Brett Sharp we mentioned a while ago. Brett, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience up there before we roll into everything else. So I'm relatively new to the dispatch field. I've only been working here in Nashville for three years, but I've been involved with law enforcement since I was 14. I grew up being a police explorer, which is kind of a program for teenagers and young adults that are interested in law enforcement. So I did that for five years. I got hired on by the department in South Florida that I worked for in a civilian role, kind of directed traffic, doing special events, odds and ends type things. Then I moved up uh, to Chattanooga, which is kind of where I was born, but spent half my life in South Florida and now I'm back up here. 
and I started volunteering with the Cleveland Police Department, lived down there for about a year, and then I moved up to Nashville. I started uh, dispatching two days after I moved here, so I didn't really get to be familiar with the city. I kind of just learned taking calls and things like that, so I've always done some sort of volunteering in the meantime, and currently a volunteer with the fire department on the Rehab 55 truck, which goes out to fires, large events, things like that, and provides water, Gatorade, snacks, and things like that for firefighters, police officers, and everything like that. So it's kind of where I'm at right now. All right. Unlike Preston, who was working the midnight shift, you had just gotten off of the afternoon shift before he came in. Right. I, I'd been home about an hour, an hour and a half or so. I'd luckily just made something to eat. Heard the tornado sirens going off outside, and that was a little concerning. I knew there'd been some reports of some bad weather coming through, which isn't unusual in Nashville. And uh, turned on the fire radio and started listening to it. And shortly after that, they just started dispatching several structure collapses, which is very unusual. We don't get those very often whatsoever. So hearing that kind of piqued my interest and the rate at the calls being dispatched was also a little worrisome. They were just back to back and there was no break in between. So I started getting dressed because I figured I'd have to head back into work. Something just happened. And shortly after that, they paged out saying anybody that can get to the building, we need your help to answer some phone calls. So that pretty much confirmed it. And I started heading into work. And you got there about what time, considering that the tornado had hit Nashville right around 1230. Yeah, I got there uh, probably about one fifteen, one twenty, and I logged in as quick as I could because 911 calls were backed up, the non-emergency line was backed up, and I could tell on everybody's face that had been there that it was something serious going on. Now, what a lot of people might not understand is you've got the emergency calls coming in, you've got the non-emergency calls coming in, there are only so many people that can answer so many calls so some of those are, are not being answered, and then they hang up. And that's what we refer to as abandoned calls, if you want to talk a little bit about what you had walked into regarding that side of it. When I walked in, there were, I think, eight or nine people logged in taking phone calls for all of Nashville, and they answered you know, anything from 911s to non-emergencies. It's just all of them. There's no separation. So I lo- looked in there, and there was... I can't imagine there's probably over 50 911 hang-up calls that needed to be called back, as well as probably 30 911 calls that still were sitting on the phone waiting to be answered, as well as numerous other you know non-emergency alarm calls and stuff. So it was pretty hectic there at the beginning. Now, you started calling those calls back because uh, that's what they want to happen. The people that have ha- that have hung up somebody's got to call those people back before they can continue taking in the calls that's coming in currently. Right. The people's first instinct when something goes wrong is to, you know, grab your phone and call 911. They might not know what they need, but they know they need some help. So I'm I'm sure after their roof collapse and stuff, there's, I mean, not a whole lot the fire department can do for them if nobody's trapped. There's no gas leak and nobody's hurt, but they still, you know, need somebody to come out there and check it out. So with those calls waiting, it was pretty important to get them answered and see what was going on with all of them. And also to keep in mind that just because a tornado went through doesn't mean that somebody's not having a normal everyday emergency like trouble breathing or diabetic issues. So we had to make sure we get those calls answered also. Right. Now, when you did start working on the abandoned calls, what did you find out about those? 
most of them were just, just people calling in the whether they had heard the tornado sirens and wanted to know what they needed to do for that or if they're you know something had happened with their house or they're smelling gas leaks next door most of them were just calling in and by the time I called them back their situation had pretty much resolved itself and they had figured out what they needed to do since the call wasn't answered right away okay so so there were some things that you did have to send uh calls out on but nothing of the nature that it could have been considering what we had going on at the time right most of them i I just sent up a, a structure collapse call just have you know an engine go out there and investigate what happened to the house make sure there's no hazards or leaks or fires anywhere and make sure that nobody was trapped right what would happen when I was there back during the storm days is you would have an initial surge of just never-ending calls. And then it would go in the direction of a roller coaster. You'd have a quick spurt of stuff, and then it would calm down, and a quick spurt of stuff, and then it would calm down. Uh, Preston said that it wasn't long. I, I think he said a couple of hours and things had uh, started into a recovery phase where it wasn't as bad because the initial hit was all over with. Did you find that to be the case as well from the end that you was covering? Within about the, the first hour, we had several other people that had responded to the page as well. We were up to almost 20 call takers, which is you know definitely a lot for us. So we were able to get caught up on all the you know 911 hang-up calls, all the active 911 calls. Then it was just taking a lot of alarm calls at that point because the power had gone out, you know, and windows had been knocked out and things like that. So all the alarms were going off and we we're having to tell the alarm companies, hey, this is what's going on. So we're, we're dealing with it. But once we got through all that, it just kind of got eerily quiet. Wow. And what was the rest of your night like? I ended up staying uh, about till 6 a.m. And uh, it was just... The occasional calls, people were waking up, worried about their loved ones, asking, you know, where it had hit and things like that, and just trying to keep everybody informed as best we could with what little information we had, because the city had, you know, was waking up to this and getting all their emergency personnel to come in and start doing research was hard to do. Yeah, that, that's that's one of the things I was going to uh, say, too, was that when, when I got in uh, initially, it was, you know, right around 5 o'clock in the morning, a little bit before that, I guess, um, you know, it, it was pretty, you know, pretty, um, I guess tame. I don't know if I want to say tame really, but because we were still getting calls, it just, there was enough of us logged in that we could handle it. But once that, uh, the first shift came on and everybody started waking up, watching the news, they saw what, what was happening. The desperation on these people's voices calling in, asking, uh, you know, about their, their family members, you know, we heard there was a, tornado come through Nashville, you know, my, my brother, my sister, my daughter, whoever lives there in Nashville, you know, had they been hit? Are they okay? At that point, we, we didn't know. We didn't have the names of the people that could, we knew at that point we had, you know, two people killed in, in Nashville, unknown injuries past that. I mean, it was, you know, dozens past that, I guess, something like that. We couldn't really say the only thing I could do at that point was to say, you know, what what area of town do they live in? What's the address where they're at? Um, if they were nowhere close by where, you know, the actual tornado, I, I tell them, I said they, they live probably five miles away from where the tornado path actually went through. They should be fine. We're having, you know, anytime we have something like that, 
the cell phones, everyone's using them. Everyone's trying to call to see if whoever's all right. Plus the fact that we had a couple towers down, lines were down all over the place. You know, it, it was just not easy to get a hold of somebody at that point. And, you know, from, from that, it, it uh, you know, you don't really know what to do, but if we did have somebody call in and, and say, you know, I've got somebody that lives in East Nashville, like it, right there in the line, we could send somebody over to check out, you know, their house, which they were doing. They were doing a house to house anyway at that point to see if there was any damage, um, you know, any injuries, survivors, you know, any deaths, things like that. So were you kind of getting the same thing? I mean, probably not as much, Brett, you know, when, uh, what, you know, when you actually left. Yeah, it wasn't so much that point. There was a few people that I said they wake up at like four o'clock in the morning. I don't know if they got some sort of alert, but they uh, they were concerned and it was just kind of calmed down. But the next day when I came into work, that was most of the calls that we took because pretty much a majority of the wires that were down had been reported. Most of the structure collapses had been reported, so it was just kind of managing with the aftermath. And then uh, shortly, didn't take very long at all, but people were calling and asking what they can do to help, which was pretty remarkable. It was... Um, we had to get some resources lined up to give them, you know, information on where to sign up, and they got that organized real well, and that was really good to see. You said you were at home before going back to work. Uh, where is home? Was it anywhere around where the tornado had hit? It was close. I think the storms went over where I live on the western side of Davidson County, and then it touched down probably about a 5-10 minute drive away from where I actually live at, so it just narrowly missed me. Okay. At the comm center, we all know that there's TVs up where you can see what's going on in the outside world. Now, what some people may find odd is when I worked there and I was taking these weather-related type calls, you're taking the 911 calls, you're taking the non-emergency calls, but a lot of times you are so focused on the things coming in and not being able to look at the TV at that particular time, you don't realize the sheer magnitude of what may be going on in total. Did y'all find that to be the case as you've taken these calls? When I walked in the room, they did have the news on. They had a couple live feeds going, but it was still really dark out. They just had, you know, little lights on they carry on the cameras, so you couldn't really get a good picture of what had happened. It wasn't really until the next day when I woke up and pulled up social media and saw the posts and pictures of before and afters when it kind of really set in what had actually happened. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, it, it's it's the same. I, I've been through um, not a tornado while I've been there, um, just really bad weather. We don't know that it's going on until you know somebody confirms it or something like that. I mean, we we may have you know our emergency management people upstairs. They may send us down something saying. Oh, there's a you know severe thunderstorm, something like that, about to come through Davidson County. You're going sometimes so fast you don't know it. You know you don't read your email immediately right there on it. But you know then you start kind of like you were saying a while ago, getting alarm calls in. You know that it's just it, it can be kind of quiet or just normal traffic of you know uh, you know there's shoplifters whatever like that, and then you start getting alarm, 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 just one right after the other, and all of them in the same area. You know, it's not somebody breaking into, a, you know, a dozen businesses all within three or four seconds of each other. That's, you know, that's usually storm hitting. Right. We just simply do not know, although we're right in the middle of it at the time. Yeah. And to give you an idea, too, because, uh, you know, obviously most people haven't been up there. 
the the main room that we sit in has one window to the outside. Mm-hmm. That's all that there is. Everything else is brick. It's completely closed in. It's one single window, and and that's a door. Yeah, it's it's in a door. So I mean, it's not even that big of a window. So you really don't know what's going on, and especially in the middle of the night like that, you wouldn't anyway. What about two foot by one foot, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. It's it's not too big of a window. Yeah, so you don't have much of a look to the outside world. Yeah, and one thing that was surprising to me is I guess it was because the guy, the caller that Preston had on the phone, is he was outside when it happened, so maybe he kind of already knew it was going on. But most of the people that I held on the phone, they were inside sleeping, and all they knew is that their roof was now laying on top of them. So nobody that I talked to ever said, you know, a tornado just hit or, you know, my house just collapsed because a tornado hit it. It was all just my roof this or tree fell on my house, and that's all I got. Yeah, and that's... You know the the one of the gentlemen that I think Preston talked to. He was actually homeless. Um, he was um, underneath the Jefferson Street Bridge, um, which there's uh, quite a big homeless population. They they kind of hang out over there. The Department of Human Services is real close by there. There's a kind of an outreach church that uh, holds uh, church services most nights underneath the Jefferson Street Bridge there. And I'm sure that they were probably just there, just you know, trying to sleep and. You get in the middle of all this, uh, you know, a tornado happening. It's it's not something quiet. I mean, it's one thing to have a storm and you get a little bit of rain and maybe some wind, but when something like this happens, and uh, kind of like Preston said, he believed that like the Department of uh, Children's Services or Department of Human Services, probably some of that debris was what actually landed on him. He would. I don't think we ever got confirmation on that, but that's probably what happened. Well, you having said that. Let me discuss the warning system. Yeah, go ahead for a bit. Not too long ago, tornado warnings were issued for an entire county, meaning that if the tornado was taking a path in the northern part of a county, the southern part was in that warning too, even if there was no chance that it could be hit. Now, times have progressed. Now, only the affected area within a county is sent that warning. Now, one should strive to have more than one method of reception. The sirens that go off within a community is one way. Problem with this method is if you're inside your home, you might not hear it, especially if you have some some things going on. Now, the alert on your cell phone is another. When a warning is issued by the National Weather Service, Cell phone carriers are notified, and they in turn send that alert to the affected cell sites. Problem with this method is if the system gets jammed in sending the alert, it can delay that alert in being sent, thus losing precious time. So make sure that your phone is set up properly to receive these alerts. Look at the manual that came with your phone, or contact your cell phone provider, or do a Google search for your type of phone for instructions on how to set it up. You also have the option of turning them off, although I don't know why you'd want to do that, and Amber Alerts can also be turned off. Now, the weather radio is another way to receive the alert. Now here, the signal is sent directly to that radio from the National Weather Service. There's no handing it off. It is a great system. You just have to make sure that it's plugged in and have uh, fresh batteries in it in case the electricity goes out. 
Now, during these particular storms, every warning system in the affected areas operated exactly as they should have. So, why were so many people killed and injured? Well, one issue was that it was at night. Some people were also being awakened and trying to get their mind around everything. Unfortunately, that causes time to be lost. Even with the best warning systems out there, it's not an exact science. Even the best thought-up plan in trying to get everybody together and to somewhere safe is not a guaranteed good outcome. Some folks never had a chance. They were simply killed. There was mention of the wind trying to pull some people out of the direction that they were trying to go to get safe. And even if one goes to the proper place, it doesn't mean that the structure won't collapse on top of them, killing them. As with anything, though, it's all in the planning before it happens. Do your homework. Be ready beforehand to act no matter where it may go down. No plan is no good. We don't have as many 911 calls tonight to play that we usually do uh, just because this happened you know, last week, uh, or actually not even a week ago. Uh, what we do have, though, is uh, some audio from a couple videos that were taken from people down on the scene. This is actually our News Channel 5. Uh, one of the people that, that work there, one of their weather guys, they were outside and filming this when it actually happened, and this is what they, they called. It's uh, pretty dramatic. Power flash, power flash, right there. The tornado is coming. Right, Dan. There it is. Go inside. No, no, get inside, folks. This is moving by the Channel 5 area as we speak. As we speak, this is moving by News Channel 5. Dan, are you getting this right now? Good. All right, folks, you need to head to your safe place. This tornado is on the ground. It is moving right by Channel 5 as we are getting close to a direct hit at the TV station. If you can still hear me, that is a tornado. Power flashes around First Tennessee Park right now. This is Live View 2 as this moves through the parking lot of Channel 5. This is a direct hit. This is the inside of the tornado right now. If you are with Dan Blummel and I, this is the tornado. It is hitting Channel 5 as we speak. Right now, tornado on the ground. It is hitting Channel 5. It is hitting our TV station at this time, moving through our parking lot as it is now sliding through the area. A very large tornado that was moving through the area, very wide tornado base right now. Uh, as Dan Blummel and I continue at a safe distance, but we have seen a number of power flashes uh, with this particular tornado right now as we continue to watch it. And, uh, of course, it continues to slide off to the east. You need to be in your safe place right now. This is on the ground. If you can still hear me, you just witnessed live as Channel 5 was directly hit by a uh, tornado. So that video there is it's uh, available on YouTube, as, as many of these are. Um, you know, this was actually broadcast live uh, on Channel 5. So if anybody was actually awake when this was happening and, and watching, they, they cut in. They, they jumped right into it, and it, it, you look at the video, it, I don't believe it did an actual direct hit, although there was some very heavy winds. I think where it actually hit was probably about, you know, maybe two or three blocks away from where they are there at Channel 5. I do believe they said um, right there at First Tennessee Park, uh, where's our uh, baseball stadium where the Nashville Sounds play at, uh, 
Um, they, you know, they did take a direct hit, um, as well as our Bicentennial Mall, which is a, a park there, um, you know, and there on James Robertson Parkway is where, you know, Channel 5 is, just, you know, like I said, equivalent probably two or three blocks away. So they did take some pretty heavy winds, though, you can see in the video. And to, to add to that, uh, something even more of a scary situation, there was a guy who was up in a crane about 375 feet in the air, and if anybody has been to Nashville here recently, there's building everywhere. I mean, it's, um, you know, you, you can count the number of cranes because of the, the kind of building. It's, you know, usually about 15 cranes in the air, you know, uh, over the skyline of Nashville where they're uh, building all these different buildings. This is, you know, 1230, you know, ish, I guess, at night. And, you know, some of them still operate. And some of them just have somebody that sleep up there because, believe it or not, we've had calls about uh you know somebody that's uh, drunk or on drugs or whatever like that and they've decided to climb up in the crane and <laughs> just see what they do up there and we've had to arrest a couple people doing that before so uh you know they had this guy he's up there and i'm not sure if he was working or just up there you know for his night and sleeping or trying to or whatever like that but this is uh this is what he had from it carla carla there's a real there's a real tornado right there they Oh my God! If something happens, I love. Make sure everybody knows I love them, Carla. This is no joke. There's a real tornado right there. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Ooh. You think? You think it was close? Look, see where there's no lights, dude. That went right, like one, maybe five blocks away at the most. It went right through there, dude. Wiped all it. The only lights in that path is ambulances and fire trucks. All. The way around downtown yeah it was yeah dude there was no storm there was no nothing then uh look that's gonna happen again so kind of going from that we've got a uh, a list of uh phone calls here in front of us and uh they, these are from the the fire side um of course when to get kind of get into the, the difference here between the police and the fire they're held by separate dispatchers, so we actually have a, a fire, what we call the fire quad, so four separate radios that, that handle the fire calls, and then we have all the separate police radios. These are calls for just from the fire side, which is the main thing that we have with this. So, uh, Brett, can you go over some of that with us? So, it, after we got into that structure fire that Preston was talking about out at John Toon Airport, we got a lot of... Um, fire alarms started rolling in and you can kind of see how the fire alarm started on the western side of town and then the calls slowly start to move eastern the later on in the event that we got but a lot of the original calls were just fire alarms and there's a whole lot of them and then once people started waking up and realizing what had happened and they started calling in and we got a surplus like i was saying earlier of you know structure collapses normally those get a lot of equipment but when you get 10 20 of them at a time you kind of just got to pair up with whatever kind of equipment you got available and have them start and go to investigate it. So they that's pretty much what they did. And when they were getting in the areas, they were finding gas leaks. People were calling in gas leaks because houses were, you know, ripped off their foundation. So all those pipes that were connected got thrown about. And so it creates a real dangerous situation. So they had to go out and deal with those. And at this point, it's pretty much inundated the amount of resources that we have so now they're having to prioritize calls and pick ones you know pretty much which ones they're going to dispatch because you got these alarms calling in and you know they're pretty much going to be false alarms just from the power going out and the damage to the buildings 
So they have to focus on, you know, we've got an active gas leak here, we've got people trapped over here, and then you're getting, I remember even with some elevator rescues, because people were stuck in elevators when the power went out, so they had to go get those people out, because that's, you know, a real bad situation if people are stuck in those elevators. And it was just an inundation of calls, and then you've got your normal medical calls, so even just minor ones, I see one here on the list, just a, looks like either a toothache or something like that, real minor, just something that somebody called an ambulance for. And they're expecting to get help when they ask for it. So it's important that we get those dispatched too. So to give you an idea of what uh, we got call-wise, usually on a, um, our day shift during the week, we'd probably take, I don't know, somewhere maybe 150 or so calls total on the fireside uh, in an eight-hour shift from start to finish. And, and that can vary for different reasons. I mean, uh, you know, Mondays seem a little bit busier. Uh, you know, it seems like the, I don't know if the old folks, they don't want to go and have their weekend doctors at the hospital or whatever it is, but, um, you know, they, uh, they wait to call on Mondays, but you know, on average, I'd probably say between 150, 200 calls, uh, in an eight hour shift. The, the list we have here is from, uh, the initial call at about, uh, you know, 35 after midnight and it ran till three o'clock in the morning, 249 calls in about two and a half hours, less than two and a half hours. So, I mean, they were rocking and rolling through there. And kind of like you were saying, Brett, that, you know, if, if we have a, a structure collapse, that's a huge response. I mean, you're getting three or four fire engines, a couple fire trucks, uh, all the supplemental equipment, the ambulances that go along with it. But, you know, and we only have so many uh, fire trucks in Nashville. As far as the engines go, we've got, uh, well, 40 stations. Each one of them do have a fire engine in them. Um, you know, we don't have a truck in every station. What those that don't know the difference, a fire engine, pretty much they carry around a water tank. They've got a, a few little tools that go along with them. All of them are EMTs. Um, but the, the actual fire truck or it's the, the ladder truck. They only have those. Uh, there's 12 of them in Nashville. And then we have a heavy rescue. Those are the type of things that, uh, go out for, you know, just really, you know, uh, car pin in something like that just uh something where they're gonna have to cut something open essentially then they go on the structure fires too where they have to you know cut a hole in a roof where the, the to vent it if there's a fire you know things like that they'd have a little bit of all of those that go to uh, a regular structure collapse you have you know 10 20 30 40 of them like we actually did have in nashville we just simply don't have enough equipment to do it and just like you said in the middle of all this in different parts of town people are calling in for uh you know i'm looking through the list here there's a like you said i'm pretty sure that was a toothache and then uh you know on the other side of the river from us there was a chest pain i mean there's right. there's regular stuff where people still need to go to the hospital uh just normal calls and it just happens so um <laughs> toothache in the middle of all this they want to go what yeah. what was coming in more that night was it police calls or fire calls? It sounds like it was fire calls strictly because of the collapses. Yeah, it was almost exclusively fire calls. I don't remember taking many police calls at all. And normally for a wires down situation, we would send you know police and fire, but it was getting to the point where there was no point in even sending a police call because they weren't going to get out there. They were so inundated with trying to help out with the rescues because they were responding on the structure collapses also. Because they, you know, they we got more police officers than we do fire engines rolling around. So they were going out there, especially the one we had out by the DHS building. There was actually a couple apartment buildings that had a pretty bad collapse. So the officers were out there running 
around trying to make sure that everybody was out of the apartment and getting everybody out just in case there were further collapses as well. Was there much posting traffic, uh, shutting off streets because of the debris that had fallen? Yeah, they had to quickly get into that, and obviously on the midnight shift, it's pretty limited. It's not like the day shift where you've got specialized units that can help out, you know, motorcycle officers, traffic cars. So they were just trying to do what they could, and some precincts had, you know, flex officers, and they were helping out where they could, but it was just minimal staffing at midnight, so it was a little rough there. Yeah, they pulled from uh, several different sectors. I mean, it it, it affected uh, mainly the, the west sector, um, central slash north right there in Germantown, and then mm-hmm. into uh, the Hermitage sector. But uh, they, they had to pull from, and, and, and east too as well, uh, for the Five Points area, east Nashville, that type thing. But they ended up pulling from every sector to, to get help over there. So it, it kind of lowered down from there uh, the amount of uh, resources we had available throughout the, the rest of the, the town. So it, it's uh, it, it's one of those things, and I'm, I'm sure they, uh, for the police department, they probably paged out their people to have them come in too. They have their own uh, you know system they have to page like that. So I, I think they probably got extra people in and, started their 12-hour shifts that way almost immediately, I would imagine. Yeah, it was implemented pretty quick. They're still working 12-hour shifts currently, and they've got different precincts working. So you got a certain set of officers that are just assigned to work weather-related calls and handle security for the neighborhood so there's no issues with looting and things like that. And then you've got a whole other set of officers that are just responding to the normal report calls and in-progress stuff that we get. So when you sit down on your console, you're looking at three to four times the normal officers you have, and they're all on your radio, so sometimes it's hard to get stuff out, but it's just what we got to do to work with what we got. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things, too, that you mentioned the looting. That's something that's not been very heavily reported on the news. Um, it's not as widespread as, say, like a you know Hurricane Katrina or something like that, but it, it is happening. It is uh, happening almost every every area that... Um, we've had damage. Uh, I know uh, the first day, uh, that that first uh, morning that I came in, uh, probably, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe an hour or so into my shift, uh, somebody called in. Uh, we have a grocery store in the middle of a shopping center out in our, our hermitage sector. And um, I'd heard on the way in on the radio that there, there were people calling in saying there were cars on top of each other out there at the Kroger Shopping Center. And it turned out there there was a head, you know, pretty extensive damage out there is, is mostly the vehicles, but some of the buildings had some, you know, damage too. But because of the officers we had limited at that point, and they were all at the other places doing searches for people that were still hurt, stuff like that, people tried to take advantage of it. And then that same shop, shopping center there is a uh, Outback Steakhouse, and we had uh, some customer at the Kroger just called in and said, hey, there's um, – somebody over here trying to break in the, the outback and that's what they did they were trying to break out the window they got in and luckily they caught them so you know I'm, I'm hoping they you know rot for a little while in jail if you take advantage of a situation like this it's pretty bad yeah. it, is it correct in saying that or at least that's the way i i took it that considering the level of event that we had in in nashville davidson county the looting wasn't near what one would think it would be oh no no it 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 wasn't that bad um and that's the damage is a lot more 
you know, the damage, the, the, the death toll, the, the injuries, all that is a lot more widespread than the actual looting that we had, but it did happen. It, it was, and that's one of the things the, the police officers, um, you know, just to give you an idea here in, uh, Murfreesboro, which is a little bit South of Nashville, um, we had a tornado come through. It, they called it the Mayday tornado. I think it was in 2009. I was at work, and uh, a lot of um, we weren't sure exactly where it hit. Um, and actually, it hit pretty close um, by where I lived at the point at, at the time. I couldn't get a hold of uh, you know anybody in the family or anything like that. So I ended up leaving from work, and luckily I got a hold of them on the way um, when I was on the way back. But I ended up going out to one of the areas and helping out the sheriff's department uh trying to let people in and out that actually needed to go you don't know these people you know who lives there they had to show us id uh you know saying okay i actually live there this is my id that type thing any joe smoke could walk up say hey this is my house and then run in take a tv and run out with it that's not the case i mean you, you have to cordon off a whole entire neighborhood and make sure the the right people are going in and out and that's kind of what we're doing now with the police department yeah, I think them jumping on it so quick is what prevented a lot of looting from happening because they, they knew that was probably going to be something that was going to happen, and they got right in there, set up their perimeters, and got officers working. So they it really hadn't been an issue. I haven't taken any calls personally on it. I've maybe seen one or two of them on the CAD system while I've been working, and the news, other than one story I saw, they haven't really reported it being an issue at all. Brett, let me ask you, when you were in Florida, did you deal with anything that even approached this level of uh, catastrophe? We we had, um, it was very rare for us to get tornadoes, but we did have one tornado that was nowhere near as bad as this one went through. It almost just got one or two neighborhoods, and we did the same thing where we just kind of set up in front of it, and, you know, you had to show your ID that you live there to get in. Um, we had hurricanes, but the hurricanes, like you said earlier, doesn't have the same kind of winds. They, they'll they rip the roofs off. They might knock a couple trees over, but it's not really ripping houses off the ground the way that tornadoes do and throwing stuff. But um, now the, the hurricanes that I've been through, and I've had some pretty severe ones, have not even come close to as bad as this tornadoes was. And we can't fail to mention the uh, – we've been kind of hitting – Nashville pretty hard uh, about what has happened here but you know truth be told I mean there was a lot of damage and things like that we did have two people die it's nowhere near what happened in a couple of other counties uh and one in particular uh, Putnam County and uh you know this this point I'd like to you know say hi to a friend of ours out there that listens in Josh he's a telecommunicator out that way and um you know I'm hoping everything's going well out there as, as well as it can be but they were hit really hard with a EF4, which is just a whole nother level of a tornado. Had 19 people killed, is the last I heard, and I don't know, somewhere over 100 injured, I believe. I it mean, it's eight, 18, 18 killed, and that included five children under the age of 13. That that place was just decimated. Yeah, literally decimated. And with Putnam County being so rural and not as densely populated as Nashville, I'm can't imagine they had more than eight call takers logged in either. Not to mention the lack of fire engines and everything to go help out. So to have that much damage and that many injuries must have been overwhelming for them. I imagine they called in mutual aid pretty quick, which isn't something we have to do very often at all. But um, in that kind of situation, I'm sure that all the neighboring agencies just kind of said, what do you need and where can we go? Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned something about eight call takers. 
you know, up there, I'm not exactly sure how they run their shop up there, but, you know, for Nashville, when we say we had eight or 10 or however many people, you know, on the phones, that doesn't count the people we have on the radio. A lot of these smaller agencies, they work the phone and the radio at the same time. That's true. So they may only have eight people working total, whereas we have eight people on the phone. We have four fire dispatchers. We have 13 police dispatchers. We have all those people working at the same time. And these people out there, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they might have only had two or three people working total, and they get hit with this, and there's just no uh, there, there's no telling how, how they could deal with it. I mean, the problem isn't something they've never had to deal with before. I don't know. At some of these smaller police departments, their normal call load is such that they do record checks and that kind of thing where our police department has a separate central records division to do that. So it doesn't take much at all for some of these smaller departments to be inundated real quick. So one of the things I actually saw in a news story was a couple that was interviewed out there in Putnam County uh, the man essentially said that he heard the notification go off on his phone. When he woke up, he you know it, he woke up to the the sound of that that alarm going off, and he immediately noticed that there was the you know that kind of deep rumble in the background. And he thought, okay, well there there is a tornado. And he said he got his wife, and they they managed to you know just barely get in the bathtub at the same time that it hit, picked their entire house up with them in it. And threw it probably 7,500 feet away from where its foundation was. The wife had, um, you know, still like she had to get stitches for her head. Uh, the man had, you know, bumps and bruises all over him, but they they lived. And on this, on the the news stories I was watching, they actually showed where the foundation was, and then they turned over and said that there's the bathtub that we were in, you know, way over there. So I mean, it's it, whole neighborhoods were just demolished like that. So I can tell you this some of the most beautiful people in the world is in Cookville and in Putnam County. I used to spend some time there as a child during the summertime, and and I know what those people in that town are about. When I saw that news conference last week, they handled that as good as any major city could have handled it. I mean, they had their stuff together they knew what they had to do, and they was business about getting it done. And understand, that is no slight to any other community that's been involved in this. It's been hell for everyone, and they have really came together to get this done. Yeah, I definitely couldn't agree more with what's going on out in Putnam County and back to Wilson County and back here to us. I've, I've worked a lot of major events from you know weather, flooding, officer-involved shootings, active shooters, but this, with just how widespread it's been, has definitely been a good learning experience and something that's going to stick with me, I think, for a real long time. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, you know, we are the volunteer state. There's a reason for that. Why we're called that is because we have so many volunteers. It's no different with this. We There's volunteers everywhere. Now, if anybody actually does want to volunteer, Brett, you've got some info for them if they wanted to try it. Yeah, the, the main uh, organization, and they're always looking for volunteers, even after this has passed, is, is Hands-On Nashville. You can go to their website if you're looking for volunteer opportunities. They've got it all organized. You just go to hon.org, and then you, you'll just see all the information on there on how to volunteer, and they'll get you set up and tell you where to go, and you know, and they'll take care of you. Well, we're starting to lead off for the night, uh, just trying to get into a little bit of Music City 911 business here. 
I wanted to thank everybody that's been listening to us. Uh, it's continuing to grow. I'm really loving doing this. I know everybody else that has been on the show with us, me, bees, you know, and all of our guests, we really had a really good time doing this. Um, I wanted to say thank you for everybody right now. We're, we're being listened to in a total of 473 cities in 24 countries. Uh, for, you know, somebody who's just starting off, that's, that's huge for us. So, um, just to kind of get, uh, you know, an idea out of these 400 plus cities, uh, you know, obviously places in Tennessee, we've got San Antonio, Texas, Dallas, um, you know, different places in, um, in England, Florida, New York, um, Canada's really coming up strong with us. Uh, Australia getting a good following down there. Just really appreciating everything and to help us grow everybody that's out there just try to um be sure to like our page on facebook on twitter instagram share it with a friend you know if you if you work in the industry be sure to tell other people that you work with about the show other agencies uh police officers firefighters because we got a little bit for everybody be sure to just tell them you know subscribe to, uh, to our podcast wherever you can and we certainly appreciate everything that you know the listeners are doing for us out there Although Brandon and I live in different counties and not in those affected by these storms, I am so proud of the people here in the South where we live. It's been really emotional to see the coming together of people to help hurting neighbors in whatever way they can. People from out of state calling and coming to offer assistance. Linemen coming from other places to help get the power restored whatever it takes to get things back to some semblance of normal. It's just story after story of folks helping. Every life that has been lost in these storms is precious. I feel that we would be remiss, though, if we didn't mention a couple that reflects the kind of people that we live around. We go to David Muir, with ABC News. Finally tonight, with so much news this week, we cannot forget Tennessee. And tonight, the story of one couple. Just days after two tornadoes hit Tennessee, tonight, one more discovery. What one community is calling a lasting love story. James and Donna Eaton discovered together they did not survive. They were married for 58 years, born and raised in East Nashville. They would meet when they were just kids and they would grow up to marry. They raised their family in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Three children, four grandchildren, six great-grandchildren. The pride of their lives. They were found in their home side by side. The mayor tonight calling them model citizens, model church members. Donna Eaton served the church for 25 years there on the right. Their pastor saying to know them was to love them. They loved their friends, a group they knew since high school. They played cards every Friday night. And their grandson Jake telling us tonight, they exemplified what it was to love. They were our family's inspiration. James and Donna remembered, and we are still thinking about Tennessee. Good night. And with that, we say good night. For Music City 901, I'm Brandon Hall. Brad Sharp. And I'm Rick Beasley. Good night.